Chapter Thirty Eight of the Snow Burner by Henry Oyen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Thirty Eight, McGregor Roy. Reivers' first impression was that he was standing in a gigantic stockade. The second was that he was on the floor of a great quarry pit. Then, when the situation grew clear to him, he stood dumbfounded. The camp of Shanty Moyer lay in what would have been a solid rock cave, but for the lack of a roof. It was an irregular hollow in the strange formation of the Deadlands, perhaps fifty yards long and thirty yards wide at its greatest breadth. The hollow was surrounded completely by ragged stone walls about fifty feet in height. These walls slanted inward to a startling degree. Thus, while the floor of the strange spot was thirty yards wide, the opening above, through which showed the faraway sky, could scarcely have been more than half that width. The brook ran through the middle of the chasm, entering the upper end by a tunnel five feet in height and disappearing in the solid wall of rock at the lower end by a similar opening. On each side of the narrow stream, and running back to the rock walls, was a floor of smooth river sand. Beneath an overhanging ledge on the side where Reavers stood were the rude skin fronts of two dugouts. A tin smokestack protruded from the larger of the two habitations, the other, which was high enough only to admit a man stooping far over, was merely a flap of hide hanging down from the rock. On the beach at the other side of the creek a fire burned beneath a great iron pan, the wood smoke filling the chasm with its pungent odor. Behind the fire a series of tunnels ran down in the sand under the cliffs. From the tunnel immediately behind the fire came a thin spiral of sluggish smoke and Reivers knew that this tunnel was being worked, and that the fire was being used to thaw the frozen earth. A man who resembled Moyer on a small scale was at work at the thawing pan, breaking the hard earth with his fingers and tossing it into a washing pan at his side. He stood now with a chunk of frozen sand in his hand, and at sight of Reivers and Tilly he tossed the sand recklessly into the air and whooped. "'Ha! Hast done well this time, Shanty,' he cried in an accent similar to theirs. "'Hast made the life endurable. A new horse for me and a woman for thee. Tis high time. Since Blackie went off and did not come back, and the two Indians tried to flee, we've had but one horse to do with. Now wilt have two. Wilt clean up in a hurry now and leave in the meanwhile.' Shanty Moyer laughed harshly. "'How works the old Scot jackass today?' he called. The man across the creek shook his head. "'He's never the horse he was when we first put him in harness,' he chuckled. "'Fell twice in his tracks today, he did, and lay there till Joey gave him an inch of the prod. Has been a good beastie, the Scot has, Shanty, but tis in my mind the climate does not agree with him. Scarce able to pull his load. 
In the mines at home we knocked such worn beasties in the head and sent em up out of the pit. Moyer laughed again. Hast a quaint way of putting things, Tammy, he said. But I mind when ponies were scarce, we used them till they crawled their knees raw. Tis plenty of time to knock old horseflesh in the head when the job's done. They laughed together. Evidently this was a well-liked camp joke. "'Tis a well-coupled animal ye have there, Shanty," said the humorist across the water, with a jerk of the head at Reivers. "'Big in the bone and solid around the withers. Yon squaw is a solid piece, too. Happen they're broke to pull double?' "'Unbroke stock, Tammy,' drawled Moyer leisurely. "'Gentleman, squaw-man, waster. But breaking stock's our specialty, eh, Tammy?' A muffled shout floated up from the mouth of the smoking pit before Tammy could reply. Instantly there followed a dull moan of pain. Moyer and Tammy laughed knowingly. "'Here comes sample of our work.' said Tammy, nodding toward the tunnel. "'Poor Joey! Has to use the prod to start him with each load now.' A grating, shuffling sound now came from the mouth of the tunnel. Following it appeared the head of a man, and Reivers needed only one glance at the emaciated countenance to know that he was looking upon the father of Hattie MacGregor. "'Get up, Scotch jackass!' roared Moyer in great good humor. "'Pull it out of there. That's the horse. Pull!' The man came painfully, an inch at a time, out of the pit, and looked across the creek at Shanty Moyer. Behind him there dragged a rough wooden sledge loaded with lumps of earth. The man was hitched to this load by a harness of straps that held his arms helpless against his sides. No straitjacket ever held its victim more utterly helpless than the contrivance which now held James MacGregor in toils as a beast of burden. A contrivance of straps about the ankles held his legs close together. So short were the traces by which the sledge was drawn that MacGregor could not have stood upright without having lifted the heavy load a foot or more from the ground. He made no attempt to stand so but hung half-bowed against the harness, his eyes gleaming through the matted red hair over his brows straight at Shanty Moyer. It was the eyes that drew and held Reivers' attention to the face, rather than to the man's terrible situation. James MacGregor, helpless beast of burden to his tormentors that he was, was not beaten. The same clean-cut nose, mouth, and chin that Reivers remembered so well in the daughter, were apparent in the father's pain-marked face. The eyes gleamed defiance, and they were wide and gray, Reivers saw, the same as the eyes that haunted him in memory's pictures of the girl who had not feared his glance. "'Shanty Moyer,' spoke MacGregor in a voice weak but firm, "'when the devil made you he cursed his own work.' He cursed you as a misbegotten thing not fit for hell. The gut-eating wolverine is a brave beast compared to you. Skunks would run from your company. You think you have done big work, 
You fool! You cannot rob me of what belongs to me and mine. You cannot kill me. As sure as there is a God in heaven, he will let me or mine kill you with bare hands. Moyer and his men laughed in weary fashion, as if this speech were old to them, and Reivers was amazed at an impulse within him to throw himself at Shanty Moyer's throat. He joined foolishly in the laughter to hide his confusion. What had he to do with such impulses? What business had he having any feeling for the poor enslaved man before him? He had come to Moyer's camp for one purpose, to get the gold mined there, to get a new start in life. Was it possible that he was growing weak enough to experience the feeling of pity, the impulse to help the helpless? Nonsense! He laughed loudly. His plan was one in which silly impulses of this nature had no part, and he would go through with it to the end. "'Well braid, Scots jackass,' said the man at the thawing pan casually. "'Now pull the load over here. Giddy up, pull!' MacGregor leaned weakly against the harness, but the sledge had lodged and his depleted strength was insufficient to budge it. "'Oh-ho! Getting lazy, eh?' came from the tunnel, and a thin-faced man came out, a short stick with a sharp brad in his hands. "'Want help, eh? Well, here tis,' he chuckled, and drove the brad into MacGregor's leg. Again the strange impulse to leap to the tortured man's rescue, to kill his tormentor without reckoning the price or what might come after, stirred itself in Reaver's breast, and again he joined in the laughter to pass it off. MacGregor started as the iron entered his flesh and the movement loosened the sledge. With weak, faltering steps he drew the load alongside the fire, where Tammy proceeded to transfer the frozen chunks of earth to the thawing pan. "'Hey, ha! New cattle?' said the man with the prod when he espied Reavers and Tilly. "'Cow and bull!' "'Cow and an old ox, Joey,' laughed Moyer. "'Has even burnt his horns off with hooch, and will go well in the harness when he's broke.' "'Tis time,' said Joey. "'The Scots jackass'll soon drop in his tracks.' "'Not until I've paid you out in full, you devils,' said MacGregor quietly. "'I'll give you an hour of living hell for every prod you've given me, you poor cur.' Joey approached him and unhooked the traces from his harness with an air that told how well he was accustomed to such threats. "'Must call it a day, Shanty.' he said, loosening the straps that bound MacGregor's hands so the forearms were free while the upper arms remained bound tightly to his sides. "'Old pit's full of smoke!' In bored sort of fashion he kicked MacGregor into the creek. "'To your stable, jackass! Day's done!' MacGregor, tripped by the traps about his ankles, fell full length in the water, floundered across, and crawled miserably out of sight behind the skin front of the smaller dugout. Moyer and his two henchmen watched him, jeering and laughing. 
At a sign, the two on the other side of the creek came across and drew close to their chief. "'And now, old son,' snarled Moyer, swinging around on Reivers like a flash, "'now, you slick waster, now we'll attend to thee.'" End of chapter 38 Recording by Roger Moline